I definitely believe that horses um, speak to us and what, what they're ready to do and when they're ready to do it. So <laughs> my training philosophy is always listen to the horse, let the horse speak to you. Um, there's no time limit with horses. I mean, you, you, there's no time frame. You, you got to let the horse develop in, in their own time. So I think that's the biggest thing is being patient. Um, I think that a lot of my training um, involves happy horses. You know, I, I, I like to think that my my care is, is extremely crucial and taking care of the horses and letting them have the best vet care and, and maintenance care and whatever they need, they get. So, um, you know, and again, letting horses be happy. I think that happy horses are, are winning horses and horses that are willing to work, have a happy, you know, a home life. And I think that that's a huge, a big strategy for me is getting horses feeling as happy and healthy as possible. And again, letting them kind of tell me when they're ready to do things and when they're ready to compete. And if they need more time, they can get more time. There's no, there's no rush. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandra Olinick, and this week's episode is with top hunter rider Nick Hannis. A Southern California native, Nick largely self-funded his dream of competing in the National Equitation Finals. He finished first in the 2006 U.S. Equestrian Federation Show Jumping Talent Search Finals West and fourth in the 2006 ASPCA McClay National Championship. After more success as a professional rider, Nick started his own training and sales business, Hunterbrook Farms, in 2009. The next several years were filled with multiple top placings in the Hunter divisions including back-to-back wins in the 2012 and 2013 WCHR Handy Hunter Challenge and the championships in the 2016 First Year Green Divisions at the Devon Horse Show and the Pennsylvania National Horse Show. More recently, Nick and Verdict were the reserve champion at the 2019 USHJA International Hunter Derby Championships. And a month later, he finished first and second on Crowd Pleaser and Reese's at the 50,000 Stahl Hendricks Green Futurity Finals at the Hits Saugerties Championship. He earned the 2019 USCF Emerson Burr Award and was voted by his peers as the 2019 USCF National Equestrian of the Year. Nick and I spoke over the phone on a day when he personally had shipped three van loads of horses to the Blenheim Fall Series in San Juan Capistrano, California. At the show, his winning ways continued. Among many blue ribbons, he and fan club earned the $15,000 CPHA West Coast Green Hunter Incentive Championship. In our conversation, Nick talks about his early catch riding successes, starting his own business at age 21, what he looks for when buying a horse, building trust with horses, furthering his education in the jumper ring, and enjoying the collection of rescue animals, think llamas and parrots, living at his farm with he and his partner, Ryan May. You can also read more about Nick in the article, Triple Threat, and about his training approach in the article, Take the Dread Out of the Long Approach, both at www.practicalhorsemanmag.com. 
Before getting into the episode, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, Perfect Products. Every trainer has had a horse that is training averse, making it difficult to get through to him and move his schooling along. Perfect Harmony EQ is a liquid top dress daily formula that can help. Perfect Harmony EQ was designed by the makers of Perfect Prep to allow your horse to leave his stall focused and ready to work. This fast-acting, show-safe feed dressing reliably relaxes stallions, geldings, and mares and can help you bring a more compliant horse to your training program every day. Praised by 10-time Olympian Ian Miller, Perfect Harmony EQ can help you create a more cooperative partner who concentrates on his job. Call 877-324-8002 or visit www.perfectproductseq.com to learn more. Available at retailers nationwide. Now, let's jump right into our conversation with Nick, where he talks about how he was bitten by the riding bug early in his life. So I, um, you know, I was born into a family of lots of boys. I'm one of five boys. And um, fortunately for, for me, uh, I grew up in a community where horses were nearby. Um, and from a very, very young age, I just always had a fascination with the horses. So my mom used to take me to the equestrian center and it started just by, you know, feeding horses carrots and treats. And that was when I was two or three years old. So that was sort of my early on fascination. And then, you know, my brothers all played sports. So, of course, I also uh, dabbled in sports. I played uh, baseball. I played soccer, basketball, um, all the sports, you know, you, you try and you play as a young you know kid. So I, I did all of those. And I just always circled back to um, wanting to ride. Uh, horses. So and I don't know why me and why me over my brothers or why I was the one, but I just was born with that in my blood, I guess. So um, I started riding and having lessons two days a week and once a week. And then that progressed into two times a week. And then I, you know, was still doing other sports and soccer. And I just um, told my mom that I, you know, I didn't want to play sports anymore. And I really just wanted to focus on, on the horseback riding. And that's sort of how I got hooked. And from, you know, five years old on, I was pretty much just um, committed to to riding, and it was my it was my dream. So I just enjoyed it very much, and um, it was easy for my mom. You know, we she had to take my brothers to one to soccer practice, one to baseball practice, one to the barn. So it, it all kind of worked out because the barn was close to my house. So I ended up being able to ride my bike to the stables eventually by myself, and that was um, a great freedom for me and a lot of fun. And you've said before that you that before you could ever compete at the Hits Indio Circuit, which is now known as the Desert Circuit in Thermal, California, mm-hmm. you went there specifically to spectate. How did that come about, and how did that experience influence you? Um, I used to watch um, the OLN Network, which used to have a lot of equestrian um, competitions um, on the on the TV. So I actually used to see and watch Grand Prix from the TV network and one of those was that out in Indio, California, and um, it wasn't too far from where I lived. It's a couple hours, and I'd always had friends, you know, at school or at you know or at the barn that would talk about Indio and how you know it was like the big fancy show in California and everyone goes to Indio. So I sort of had heard about this horse show, and uh, then I finally had the opportunity to go out there one weekend uh, with a through a family friend who who rode. Um, in Southern California, and she was competing in the jumpers. So she invited my mom and I to come out there and, 
and watch her compete. And while I was there, I just was starstruck. I mean, left and right, I'd seen all these people, Hap Hansen, Peter Fletcher, you know, John French, Richard Spooner, um, people that I had seen on the TV, and um, they were all competing there. And they were, you know, just their normal daily horse activities, riding around on their dirt bikes and, you know, polishing their boots and getting on their horses. And that was just like an eye opener. And it was amazing just to be there. So I used to drive out there when I was old enough. Um, now at this stage, I've been comp- able to compete out there, but I would drive out there. Um, you know, I'd get out of school early on a Thursday and drive out there and watch the tail end of the professional hunter divisions going and uh, be able to watch some of my, my idols and how they competed and how they prepared their horses. And I'd watch the jumper ring as well. So before I was really able to, you know, full throttle, be involved in the competition side of it myself, I was just out there soaking it all in and watching and kind of sitting on the sidelines and just taking notes mentally and watching and just, and learning a lot. That's how I, that's how I learned a lot from, from the beginning. And early on, you said you began dreaming of competing in the national equitation championships, but your family couldn't afford maybe the caliber of horses or the show schedule that was required for, for you to do that. Can you walk us through how you were able to make that happen? Um, yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's a, a, a long story short, I mean, I wasn't able to, to compete at the caliber and to have the string of horses that it took to be, you know, a com- competing and being competitive at the top level. Um, however, I was able to pick up catch rides and I was, you know, a good enough rider that I could uh, luckily catch ride for other professionals and ride um, nice horses, you know, for other people, which mostly was in the pony hunter ring in the beginning and then in the junior hunter rings as I got older. Um, and I had, you know, always dreamed of doing McClay finals and all of those, you know, national equitation finals. I'd love the equitation. I always, you know, was a perfectionist and wanted to, um, you know, better myself and have all of the right posture and technique and, and, and strategy to win. And that was always something I really wanted to do. When I was like 15, um, my parents had bought me this amazing, you know, junior hunter that was uh, sort of a, a friend deal from a neighbor, a, a girl that was going to college, and we bought the horse, um, family discount, basically, and I competed that horse once or twice, and he got sold, and um, I made a little bit of a profit on that, which was really exciting, and my mom sort of gave me the uh, choice. You can keep the horse and show it, or you can sell him, and you can keep the money, and you can maybe buy yourself an equitation horse and, and go to more horse shows, so that was sort of, the, that was the route I went. I sold the horse, and I kept the extra money to buy my next equitation horse, which I leased and um, started kind of at a young age, buying and selling some horses from Europe uh, to, to put, to buy and sell as investments to put extra money in my, in my piggy bank to show so I could compete more. So that's sort of how I started um, being able to, to compete in equitation. And uh, then a a, a nice old retired Grand Prix horse um, stepped into my life and he was, stepping down from the bigger jumper classes and wanted to maybe just do the equitation. So he didn't have the best vet check. So I was able to buy him again for a pretty uh, low price. And he was amazing. We were a great partnership and the horse and I, I think he was the horse that put me on the map, uh, so to speak for the equitation. And um, that was when I started to compete, you know, more competitively and successfully in the California equitation classes. Um, And right about that, point in my career which many many people don't really know i actually was involved in a tv show called la riding club which never aired um in america but through the tv show i was able to pick up a sponsorship with ulcer guard 
and they basically funded my East Coast um, show circuit. So I was able to go to Harrisburg for the first time and, and go to Capital Challenge for the first time and see all of the East Coast finals and, and compete back there, which was really exciting. So that was how I had my introduction. Mm-hmm. And you were you were young when you started, I think you had said you'd gone to Europe with your brother to buy your first investment horse. You know, how how did you handle it being so young? It, it seems very mature. Yeah, um, I laugh at it now. I mean, I, I think it's funny. I look back and think, how did I ever go to Europe as a 15-year-old with my older brother who knows nothing about horses um, as my agent, basically, or my, my financial advisor? Um, so the, I laugh about that. It's pretty funny. Um, I don't know if I got lucky or if it was just, you know, in, in my intuition and in my, in my, you know, in my, in my blood to just be, have an eye for picking horses. I don't know. I can't really say, but I, I luckily went over there and had some success and I bought my first horse over there and he um, ended up turning into being a pretty well acclaimed uh, hunter in America and got sold, had a big career afterwards and it sort of put me on the, um, giving me the ability to, you know, to show and compete more. So that was, you know, pretty fun and exciting. And it, it's funny looking back at a glance because now it's so much, it's such a big part of my life and my career um, and my um, my daily, you know, function at my barn is importing, you know, horses from Europe. So I think it's something I've always enjoyed doing from a young age and always been something I've, you know, I, I've loved to do it. And it's been um, a lot of fun for me and a lot of success. So that's been an exciting part. But going to Europe as, you know, a teenager by myself, picking out my first horse, um, again, it's, it's sort of almost ironic and kind of funny, but I, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And you said that your mom had had ultimately left left that decision to you about that the horse that you bought and that you then could sell for a profit um i guess how did she know you were going to be able to handle it um you know my mom i think always had a lot of confidence in me and and knew that this was my passion and i think that she i think took a gamble on a risk on her you know on her own part you know putting that much you know financial ability and pressure on a on a person of my age at that point but I was always pretty mature for my age um and and devoted you know I was a good student in school I I did my homework but I she always knew that my my whole dream in my life was to become a professional and to do this you know uh, in a bigger way so I think that she giving me that opportunity was a game changer absolutely but I and I'm forever grateful that that was a an opportunity for me that she gave to me I can't even thank her enough because I think it has, had that not happened and that would have been, my life would be completely different today than what it is. So I, I do definitely um, attribute that my success is directly, you know, a contribution to my mom's, you know, generosity and, and ability to give me that, that choice at that age because um, it really opened up a lot of um, window and a lot of opportunity for me to, to further my career at that point of my life. And I'm obviously forever grateful for that. And you mentioned that you had backing up a little bit that you had begun catch riding very early, even ponies. How did that come about? How did people become confident enough? To- so I had, I had been riding um, with my trainer in, at my facility in, in Cota de Caz. It's my hometown where I was born and raised and where I started riding. And um, another trainer, it was a public facility. So there was another trainer um, that was there. She happened to be walking by my arena one day. She was going to another barn and saw me riding. And I was this little boy on a big, tall horse. And um, she had a green pony that was 
you know, purchased by uh, a pretty good client of theirs. And uh, she asked point blank, she came up to my trainer and asked if I'd be willing to catch ride her pony for her and go to Indio. So of course I was like thrilled. And um, luckily I was still at the age where I could, I could ride a small pony. I was riding as a, I think a 12 year old at that point. So um, I was able to ride and that's sort of how I started catch riding and, and doing the ponies. And that was a great relationship and took me through uh, the next few years of my riding career doing ponies and, and being able to show and catch ride. And obviously when I'm catch riding, it's on someone else's, you know, uh, dollars. So it didn't cost my family other than the, the traveling uh, expenses to get there, but the, the horse show was paid for. So that was a great way for me to get showing and get out there and get doing it. So that's how that all sort of began. And that pony um, that I first started on was Buffalo Soldier. And he ended up having a very long and famous career. So that was a fun, a fun story. You won the USCF show jumping talent search finals West in 2006. What did that mean to you? That was, um, I think one of, I think anyone, any junior rider, it's winning the talent search finals. It's the biggest medal final. It's one of the most challenging medal finals. There's a lot of phases to it. Um, it's, it's very prestigious in our sport. So for me, that was an incredible and, um, and just an amazing experience and memory. And, um, to win that really, um, it never gets old. It's just something you, it, it's just exciting. It's, it's, it's fun. And um, I, I remember at the time when I was, you know, I was 17 years old, and to win that final was like winning for me the minute, like my the Olympics for me. So that was uh, a really amazing experience. And to see the the list of riders ahead of me that were on the on the board of being uh, past winners was um, encouraging and very uh, exciting to see who. Yeah, a lot of people I knew on that list had been gone on to be very successful professionals and Grand Prix riders. So you kind of feel important to be in that league. What did you do after you aged out of the junior divisions? Can you walk us through that? I immediately, at my last junior year, I was catch riding junior hunters. Um, and the trainer that I was riding for, John Bragg, um, offered me a position and I uh, took the job. So right out of my junior career, I started being a professional um, and we opened a satellite barn. I'm from uh, Southern California. John at the time was from Northern California. And so we kind of decided we would open up a branch down here and open a barn and see where it went. So that was where my first steps were as professional. And it was, um, it was a lot, it was, I had a lot of responsibility. I had a lot of horses to show. It was a great job. Um, it was fun to open a barn um, with someone that had experience like he did in, in our industry and uh, develop a barn within, I think, a short amount of time. We had a 30-horse 30, 30 full barn of clients and new horses in training down here, so that was a lot of fun. And I, I worked for that, um, for that job for about two years, and um, then I took a little bit of a break from the horse the horse world after that job and it was the first time in my life I could really settle down and, and think to myself what I wanted to do in the long run you know I'd been a very successful junior at that point I had a lot of um, wins a lot of opportunities a lot of great experiences um, I obviously skipped college and I went right into being a professional which is very demanding and I think a lot of young professionals don't understand or they're not ready for what it could it takes to be a professional and, and all that goes with that. So that was an eye-opening experience for me, for sure. So it just, uh, I think when I was 20 years old, 
I decided to take a break from the horses and reconsider, you know, where I wanted to go with my life. But should I go to school? Should I get a, a job outside the horses? You know, I never had experimented outside of the horse industry. So it was a really good year for me to, to reflect and to understand kind of who I was and what I wanted to become and who I wanted to be. So it was a great year and I did a lot of traveling that year and um, just was, it was a great time to just think about where my future was going and it didn't take very long for me to, to realize and to understand how much the horses were obviously my priority and my, my dream and every part of my life. So without horses in my life, I felt like I was nobody. So it was uh, very clear to me that I wanted to be a professional again and that's when I established and opened my own barn, Hunter Brooks Farms in 2009. And so it's been uh, 11 years. When you go to Europe, what do you look for when you're trying trying a horse to buy? Um, yeah, so it's, you know, for me, I feel, I've always said it, I really feel like um, horses, you know, it's such a connection between horses and riders. And for me, um, there's, there's a certain connection, I think, that I feel with a horse. And, and I kind of have a good feeling about, if they're going to work out or not. And that's a really important part of picking a horse for me. It's not just based on, on looks or talent. I mean, there's just a general for me, like a connection in that I look into a horse's eyes and I, I, I get a sense of, you know, their personality and I like to see them, you know, in the barn. I like to see them interact, you know, around other horses and I like to ride them and, and test, you know, test drive them per se. Um, but there's been many times where, um, you know, a horse looks, not that promising in Europe and I just believed in it and gave the horse time here and they ended up being some of my most famous horses. After you buy a horse, what's your approach to training them or maybe can you talk a little bit about your training philosophy? I definitely believe that horses um, speak to us and what, what they're ready to do and when they're ready to do it. So my training philosophy is always listen to the horse, let the horse speak to you. Um, there's no time limit with horses. I mean, you, there's no time frame. You, you got to let the horse develop in, in their own time. So I think that's the biggest thing is being patient. Um, I think that a lot of my training um, involves happy horses. You know, I, 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 I like to think that my my care is, is extremely um, crucial and taking care of the horses and letting them have the best vet care and, and maintenance care and whatever they need, they get. So, um you know, and again, letting horses be happy. I think that happy horses are, are winning horses and horses that are willing to work, have a happy, you know, a home life. And I think that that's a huge, a big strategy for me is getting horses feeling as happy and healthy as possible. And again, letting them kind of tell me when they're ready to do things and when they're ready to compete. And if they need more time, they can get more time. There's no, there's no rush. So I think that that's a big and important strategy and, and, and part of my, my, um, techniques at home is you know letting horses just relax they get to go in the turnout they get to eat lots of hay they get to go on trail they get to just they get you know soft bits in their mouth you know they just they they just they and then they they come around when they're ready to and they just they blossom and they shine when it's time and that's always been like my philosophy i mean i like to be on the horse's good side and i like to be i like to know my horses you know and that's one of the things i love about owning the farm is that they're in my backyard i can i can walk out of my back my back gates of my house and be right there at the barn within three minutes and I check on them at night and I listen to them and I look at them and I see kind of how they're feeling and what their thoughts are. And you can almost, you can almost hear their thoughts out loud just by looking at a horse's expression. So that's the, that's the best part for me. 
And similar to that, you've said that building trust with young horses is one of your favorite jobs. I guess, why is that? And how you maybe answered this a little bit, but how do you go about doing that? Um, you know, I, I think that young horses in particular um, take extra time. They're, they're definitely, when you're working with a young horse, you know, there's no book to read, I think, that, that explains how to perfectly train a young horse. Everyone's different. And I think for me, my, in my experience, I think because I grew up, you know, with not having to be able to buy experienced uh, further along horses in their career. I always said that you start off with young horses or inexperienced horses. Um, it's really just getting a horse to trust you. And if you can, if you can, get, if you can have the trust of a horse and, and they believe in you, then you can really accomplish so much. And then, you know, some, one thing that people always say about me is that horses believe you. And I, I never really understood what they meant by that. You know, what do you mean they believe me? But I think that what they meant by that is that they trust me and they, they believe that whatever I tell them they can do, they can do it. And um, that's, a, that's a huge and beautiful thing. So you've had a lot of successes in the hunter ring, but you've also had some success in the jumper ring too. Can you talk about that and how how you're able to make that transition back and forth? I love the jumper ring. It's super exciting for me. I love to gallop. You know, even my hunters, I like to gallop. So when you get in the jumper ring and you can really gallop, it's just the feeling that you can't even explain. It's just like you're flying and the wind is hitting your face and your horse is galloping and jumping. It's just, it's exhilarating and so much fun. And I, I love the thrills um, of that completely. So um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to own a few Grand Prix horses and have some jumpers. Um, unfortunately for me, whenever I have a nice jumper and I, I do a Grand Prix or I, I get in that ring, um, the other side of the sales world, the jumper people, you know, they think that here comes this hunter guy in the jumper ring and he's winning a grand prix so we must buy that horse because he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> so um i've never been able to keep one of my jumpers for very long which you know is my goal my long-term goal is to to get a grand prix horse and be able to keep it and um, that's my next chapter in my life hopefully to to further my education in the jumper ring and be able to to have a string of jumpers and and um which i'm sort of starting to have right now it's, it's slowly coming together but that's my my goal Okay, so you've um, you've successfully captured a lot of horses right from the beginning of your riding career. How do you get on a horse and evaluate it so quickly and just know how to ride it so well? Um, catch riding for me is like second nature. I mean, I, again, you get on a new horse, you don't know how they turn or how they go or what they do. And um, I think for me, I've been able to be selective of who I catch right now and trainers that I work with because I do best personally when I get on a new horse and just just figure them out you know it's hard for me to get on a horse and catch right when the trainer is you know telling me how to do it and what the horse needs and all this stuff you know I really I benefit and I thrive most just again closing my eyes riding the horse feeling the rhythm and just learning the horses ins and outs um, naturally without having too much instruction um, and I I feel like that the horse again can adapt to how I ride, you know, and get to know me as well. So getting on a new horse for the first time, it's always nerve wracking. I mean, that's normal. I think for anyone to experience, you know, getting on a new horse, you know, I like to know a little bit of information, like, are they afraid of traffic? You know, do they stop or, you know, what are the, what are the goals we're trying to accomplish for today's ride? Is it, to, is it to win the class or is it to school the horse for the ride for the amateur or the junior that's going to ride it on the weekend? You know, knowing those things is a really, um, that's helpful to know, but basically getting on a new horse for the first time, again, it's just like, you know, getting on a bike for the first, you got to adjust the seat a little bit. You got to, you got to figure out where the handlebars go. You know, you're just going to figure out 
all of the parts of that horse and figure out where, um, you know, they are comfortable and where the horse likes, you know, what, what they're, how they like to be told to go forward or slow down. So getting to know a horse like that is, uh, it's very fun for me. And it's, um, it's for, more than anything, it's, it's like accepting a new challenge and it's kind of an interesting process to get to know a horse. So that's how I enjoy and why I enjoy catch riding. Hmm. So, you know, as you've indicated, training, training horses is an individual thing with each horse, but do you have a favorite exercise that with horses or a go-to exercise? I don't necessarily have a favorite exercise or a go-to exercise. I mean, I think a lot of people can t- would say on behalf of me that I like to ride with long reins. Um, which is true. I do like to ride with long reins. Um, and I don't know if that's just the way I ride or if that's kind of how I, I feel like that's how I let a horse get to know me is, and I leave them alone a little bit. I have a long rein. I leave their mouth alone. I kind of let the horse, you know, naturally find their balance and then figure out from there, you know, how I should ride that horse. Of course, certain horses need more connection. Some horses like no connection. So I think that when I first get on a new horse, I, I first start off with basics. I just sort of let the horse go necessarily like riding like like they have no rider on their back just basically letting them kind of go free and figure out and then from there i kind of can dissect what works and what doesn't work and and then kind of pick up the slack and and pick up the reins and then make a new plan so for me my go-to i i guess my my exercise that i do as a rider is i get on a new horse and i kind of just let them kind of go and just sort of let them figure it out and then we kind of work together um, moving on to competing and riding, uh, you placed second at the 2019 USHJA International Derby Finals on verdict. Can you share how that happened and what that was like? Um, it was incredible. Derby Finals in Kentucky was, I mean, just an amazing experience. The the event itself is just so highly broadcasted and the, the, everything, the audience, the stands, the, the stadium there, the setup, the prep, everything about it. Um, is just uh, incredible just to be there. But to be on course, um, again, on a, on a horse that you can trust and a horse that trusts you um, at a venue like that is just so magical because the jumps are huge, they're decorated, they're, they're, they're wide, they're tall, um, they're challenging. They're, it's just it's, an, it's a great, for me, it's like everything you work hard for during the year at, at horse shows is just beautifully um I guess, painted at that horse show as far as, you know, it just makes for a great, a great venue and um, a day to compete with, with horses like that. It's just amazing. So I was fortunate enough to uh, have this horse that I rode verdict last year um, at the Derby finals. And it, it, it was a horse that I was catch riding throughout that year, a few different times. And he um, was an incredible, he is an incredible horse, a brave horse, a really fun horse. But again, it was a horse that I kind of had to get to know um, before the finals, and I got to spend a week with him in Kentucky before the Derby finals and, and turn him out in a big grass field and just watch him all day long and just get to know him and, and, and get on him bareback and ride him and just get to for us to have this relationship, this bond before we went to that big event and did that Derby finals. Um, and I completely attribute my success to having that time with him to get to know him and, and him get to know me, and we just it was like a bond and it was just an amazing experience. And when we got there, um, I had no expectations of doing well. I mean, I really just wanted to get around and just do it. Um, and for us, after the first round, we scored really nice scores and we were in second place to Tori Colvin. Um, it really pumped me up. I was super excited. Very nice. 
And then also in 2019, you uh, received the U.S. Equestrian Federation's Emerson Burr Award, which is presented to a hunter rider. And you were also voted by your peers uh, as the 2019 USEF National Equestrian of the Year. What did those accomplishments mean to you? Those ac- the, being awarded the Emerson Burr Award and being voted for Equestrian of the Year, really, there are no words to describe how proud that makes me and it, how validated that makes me in my life. Um, those are, I think, something that as a rider and professional, I would dream that that would happen to me at some point in my career. To happen to me at 32 years old was just extremely uh, mind-blowing to me. And, and I'm just, I was flattered and humbled and just more than anything, just ex- excited and, and proud that I was selected for that award and that I was voted to win because um, for me, there's no bigger accomplishment than that, you know, having the respect of your of your peers and um, being awarded that prestigious award and being recognized for for a lifetime of work um, was just incredibly um, exciting and rewarding and um, powerful to me and something that I will I do every day cherish and wake up and and just brings a smile to my face I mean it's just it's it's amazing and it's something that I've worked hard I mean I I work hard and I as many people do you know everyone works hard but it's just something that I, I have wanted my whole life, and um, the horse world is my whole world. So to be accepted as, um, for that award is just it was incredible. Um, talking about competitions in general, do you have a routine before you before a competition? Um, I mean, in order uh, before we get to competitions, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think again, I I go back to happy horses or successful horses. So I mean, before. We go to a horse show. I let my horses turn out extra and stay out and just have sort of downtime and resting time before we go to competition. So that's how I prepare the horses. I mean, for myself, um, I love competing. It's it's pretty second nature to me now. So I, I don't really have any rituals for myself. I mean, I, I thrive on adrenaline. So I think that right before I start my first competitions, when it hits me and it kind of excites me and um, gives me that little thrill that I'm showing again, that's sort of how I think it makes pushes me to, to do well and compete better. Do you ever get nervous before a competition? I don't usually get nervous before competitions, um, unless it's for a major competition like Derby Finals. Yes, I was very nervous. Um, so in those situations, when I do, I get that kind of butterflies in my stomach feeling before a competition. It's usually a good sign for me. Um, it means I'm like, I'm nervous, but like I'm focused and I'm ready. Um, and that usually propels me to be better and ride better. So it's almost like a good thing when I get that feeling. Um, but I like to be, be by myself. So when that happens, I like to prepare by finding a, a seat in the stands or somewhere around the course where I can just sit down by myself and focus and watch. Um, I love watching it. So, you know, from the time when I was a, a, a young boy, I've always learned by watching and so watching my competitors show first or seeing how they ride a bending line or seeing where the turn is for the handy, um, those are all things that I like to do for myself to mentally prepare um, for my um, for my round or for my competition for that day. So uh, in Kentucky, before the final round at night, I was very nervous because um, I really wanted to do well. It's not a nerve. It's not a fear of falling off or messing up necessarily it's more of like a fear it's more of like a nervousness to do but to do well and win I really am very competitive obviously um with myself so I really wanted to give myself the best opportunity and chance to to do well and I like to be creative you know I think that 
handy courses are super fun. I've been given the nickname Handy Hannes in my past um, because I like to do handy classes. And um, in, in a big venue like Derby Finals, there was a lot of different options to jump, different places to turn, tracks to take, you know, things like that. So I like to sit around the course, move positions a few times. I'll sit at one end of the ring for a few minutes and I'll move to another end of the ring um, and just look at the ring from a different perspective and a different view to really understand and um, calculate my my plan and, and strategy to win the class. So you've won a lot, but um, not winning is also part of competing in horses. And I guess, how do you handle it when things don't go your way? Um, absolutely correct. You know, it's great to win, but more times than not, we don't win. And we um, there are plenty of those times at horse shows where you know, things didn't go your way, You're, you know, you, you made a mistake as a rider or you miscalculated or your horse got green or your horse made a mistake or you had a great round and the judge didn't like you. There's all these, you know, different situations that arise at a horse show. Um, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's frustrating, you know, when you don't win. Um, but for me, I'm happy if my horses are developing in the right direction, my horses were well behaved, they put in their all or their all of their effort then I'm happy, you know, so, you know, you can only do your best every day. Everyone's out there trying their best. So you have to realize that it can't work out every single time in your favor and, you know, things happen and that's part of being a human. And I, um, I have plenty of funny stories and experiences where things went wrong or I made a mistake or something just didn't happen right. And, you know, those, those days make us humble and they, they bring us back to remembering that we're working with live animals that are not machines or robots and that's the best part of our sport and why I think it makes people keep coming back I mean there's so many challenges and, and things that make this um, this interaction and this relationship with horses that much more interesting so I think that for everybody and for myself especially you know at the end of the day after a long day of showing and competing um, when you go to your horse's stall and they come back out, want a cookie, and they love you all over again. It makes it all that much more worth it. So it's a fun process. It's a humbling process, um, but it's a great process. And how did how you mentioned that you we were actually just driving driving to a horse show? But how how has the how has COVID the COVID pandemic affected how you do things, and perhaps is still affecting you and your business? And you know, definitely. Um, I try to find the positive in situations and I feel like, you know, as horrible and difficult and challenging as this year has been with COVID, um, there's been a lot of underlying, you know, highlights and, and positive things that came from it. So um, for me, when, you know, initial quarantine started earlier this year, um, I was very, very fortunate and lucky to own my own farm and have my horses in my backyard. So that made it very possible and easy for me while quarantining at home to still be involved with my horses, which I know many people and clients um, and riders were not able to do because of um, facilities being shut down or, or on, on lockdown or um, all the strict protocols have gone with that. So for me, the, the silver lining in all of this this year has been able to um, stay at home and not horse show for those few months was gave me a better insight and uh, to my horses and where they were at in their careers and where they were at on an emotional and physical level um, and just sort of being able to reset that button and start over and just relax and um, focus on the basics again and going on trail rides again and just letting the horses be horses and turning out. That was a really a great um, and fun 
actually fun for me, an opportunity to spend that time at home because so much of my, my life and career is on the road and going to horse shows every single week. Um, and that's also, that's, that's hard on horses, you know, and so being able to stay home and give them the chance to kind of rest and rebuild has been great. And since, since that, um, time we've been able to come back to the horse shows and compete again. And I think all my horses felt, you know, rested and they felt, um, like they were able to come in and they've been competing ever since amazingly. And uh, we've had a very successful year after quarantine, which has been, um, very fortunate. You know, it's difficult on, on many levels for, for owners, you know, for our, for our sport, for our industry, for people that, you know, want to come support the horse shows because of the protocols being so strict now. Um, that's been a difficult thing, but, um, I think being able to show the horses like to show my horses like to compete. Um, they enjoy it. So it's been, um, really nice to be able to go back to horses again, even though it's strict, we got to wear masks and we got to follow all these protocols. I think that my horses are happy to be competing again and showing off their skills. And, um, you know, for me, sales obviously is a big part of my, of my professional career and buying and selling. And, um, that was a, a worry for me this year with, with Corona and the, and the market and, you know, the fear of the future. So, um, you know, I'm, taking it one step at a time. I've always been, you know, a very patient um, owner and salesperson. I don't like to, you know, make people buy my horse. I don't like to, you know, force people or jam it down people's throats. You know, if they want to buy my horse, they're welcome to. If they don't, they don't. And that's always been my, um, my approach. And I also have people approach me a lot of times for horses and I don't think that horse is going to work for them. So I just flat out say no. So uh, matching, matching horses with these people is something I really take pride in doing and creating a, a, hopeful partnership that will work in the future. So sales have been, have been pretty good as well for us this year. I understand that you have more than just horses at your stable, that you have goats, alpacas, pigs, miniature ponies, and parrots. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that happened? I think that circulates back to my childhood being one of five boys in a big family. Um, you know, I always dreamed of having, you know, lots of pets and animals. I love, I'm an animal lover. I love animals. I love, obviously, love horses. And, um, but that goes with, with pretty much all animals. So I always dreamed of and wanted to have, you know, like a little petting zoo at my house. Of course, was never granted that when I was a kid. So I think when I grew up and I had my own farm and I was able to um, have the land and the space for it, it sort of, I started kind of collecting one animal here and there. And it's sort of now um expanded a bit and i've you know been able to rescue some animals which has been very rewarding and very fun um so a large portion of my animals have been rescued that live in my farm now sort of part of my petting zoo and i've also bought a few of them and bred a few of them so it's it's a little bit of mixture of of all three but um for me the animals just bring a, a little bit of happiness and joy to my life um when i'm away from horse shows and dealing with you know the hustle and bustle of horse shows and clients and back gate people and the horse show management staff and all the things that go into my daily life when I go home and I'm just by myself or with my dog or with my partner Ryan um, at the farm it's just peaceful and rewarding for me just to hang out and sit down in the pasture with all my animals and admire them and love them and spoil them um, it's something that I just brings me peace and it makes me just have happiness. Do you have any interests besides riding? Uh, riding is my is my main love and my focus and my passion in life, of course. But being outdoors for me is is I always love. I love to you know I love to go to the lake and jet ski or water ski. Um, 
I love the, I just love being on the outdoors. So traveling is a big part of my life too. You know, when I'm not, when I'm not showing, um, I sort of force myself to take vacations here and there and go explore, explore the world and see other places. Um, of course I have my staff at home FaceTime me with my horses and my, my farm every day. So I still, I can't always get away from the farm mentally. I love to know what they're all doing. So it's hard for me to get away for too long, but I like to take, you know, a week or two vacation every year and, and travel. So traveling is definitely um, something I enjoy. I, do, I enjoy doing, and I have a bucket list of destinations and things I and I like to go see and do. So I've been working on that the past few years. Um, one of them was actually uh, doing a safari in Africa and staying at the Giraffe Manor for one night and having breakfast with giraffes in my hotel was pretty um, pretty amazing and one of my wow. bucket list items I always wanted to do. But um, yeah, just being outdoors and being around animals is pretty much what I love the most. That's cool. Uh, and last question, I guess, why do you think you've been so successful? Um, I think that following my heart um, has led me to being successful, um, you know, staying true to myself and to what my goals and my passions are. Um, and just being honest and being humble and, and you know, focusing on having good morals and integrity and um, having good relationships, relationships with people. And I'm pretty close to my family still and being um, being able to have my family life, you know, on the side of my professional careers, something that's really important to me um, and remembering that this is all, I mean, I, I think this is all a blessing and I just, I'm very fortunate to have this as my life. Um, I, I look at myself and think, you know, I could be sitting in an office job, you know, working in a corporate place. And I just, for me, that would just not work for me. So I, I, I'm just thankful every single day that, um, horses and this is my life and I, my job is, you know, right now it's Monday trainer's day off, but I'm driving my, you know, three different trips of horses to the Oaks to the horse show. But I love, you know, I love doing it. I love having my dog in the front seat next to me is my companion and the horses in the back. It's just sort of always been my, my go-to. So um, I just feel like that, you know, that, that hard work and dedication, I think is what has led me to be successful. Mm-hmm. And actually one more question. How do you, you, you just, because you talked about having a balance, you know, with, with your partner and, and your home life, how do you, how do you achieve that balance with such a busy schedule? Um, it's very brief and short. Um, I'm, when I'm home, I'm not home for very long usually in a typical show year, but when I'm home, um, that two days I get to spend at at the farm watching my zebra trot across the farm and seeing my baby alpaca is born and, you know, milking our goats, giving our bottle feeding our goats. Uh, you know, that, that for me is my balance that, that makes that, that cures me and whatever I'm going through, it sort of just helps, you know, make things better for me. And, um, it's not much time at home and, I obviously would love to have more time at home sometimes, but um, that balance, you know, I'm, if I'm home for too long, then I get stir crazy. and want to go back to the horse show. So um, it never gets old for me. I and mean, I just, I enjoy the whole process. I enjoy um, building these relationships with relationships with horses, you know, getting to know horses inside and out and um, being a part of their journey, their diets, their, you know, I, I feed my horses myself in the afternoon, their grains and their supplements, you know, and I just really being involved with them hands-on for me is something I just, completely love doing and and so I think that's what makes me happy and keeps me balanced Um, and of course having a great partner like Ryan uh, is another aspect of my life that's been amazing and um, I'm thankful for so pretty lucky
<laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your chatting with me. Of course. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Nick Hannes. And a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Perfect Products, the makers of Perfect Prep. Learn more at www.perfectproductseq.com. Join us again for upcoming episodes with award-winning journalist Nancy Jaffer about the book Riding for the Team and Grand Prix show jumper Mavis Spencer. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Sandra Olinick, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.